Oh, and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 144. This cast, as always, is sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% BIOS bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week, of course, with my two co-hosts, Jim Caselli of CoolStuffInc.com and Ed Wynn of TalesOfAdventure.com. We also managed to wrangle on a special guest this week if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, hey everybody. Uh, this is Bernie McKino. I'm the majority owner of Moose Loot. Um, also now the majority owner of MTG First since uh, Moose Loot bought MTG First. Uh, obviously, a lot of you guys will know me from booths around the world, um, from being a backpack grinder back in the day, uh, from being a mod in high-end and sick deals. Um, Ed was at my house, so I figured, hey, I'd sit in and say hi to everybody. Yeah, so we figured we'd replace Ed with someone who uh, has a little bit of a better resume this week. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it works out. Uh, modern Horizons spoilers continue. We even got some stuff this morning with the talisman cycle being complete, but Jim, you are the, uh, casual McGee, which means that we can expect to sell the most cards to people like you. So what has been, uh, popping out at you that, uh, we should keep an eye on. So, um, there's a lot of, like, I think that the. The biggest thing that I've seen thus far is that pre-order prices seem to be very high, such that it looks to me like a lot of people don't realize that this is a 36-pack booster box and not a 24-pack booster box. Um, and my general consensus, is, at least for right now, is like let the release events happen, like at the pre-release happen, and then see what happens and then see where the prices fall. Um, Personally, because all I do is play Commander, I'm not like I don't need to have the cards the the weekend that they're released. Like I don't have tournaments that I play in. I can proxy them if I feel like it just to try them out. So I'm not really in a rush to go out and buy anything. And right now, a lot of these cards seem like they're far more expensive than they will be in a week after a release or even like a month after a release. Like. There's a lot of cards in this set that people look at and they're like, yeah, man, that, that reads really good. That's going to be a great card. And then it just doesn't end up happening. And I think that there's, because of how many of the cards in the set are so expensive, um, there just has to be too many of these are just not actually very good. Uh, so as far as like I'm concerned, there's definitely cards that I want to own, but there's nothing I'm like worried about pre-ordering, um, except maybe for foils because... They could be very difficult to find. Um, the only foil that I'm like basically in on is getting a Sisse. I think that that's one of the ones that will probably trend up in the long term uh, because of how flexible it is. It just it, it can go into any kind of deck, and if you're playing a five color deck, I, I have to imagine that you have some number of legendary permanents that you wish to find. Um, so. I think that's the only card that I'm actively looking to pre-order. The other stuff, like, there's definitely things I'm excited for, but I'm just, I'm not ready to purchase them at the current price point. Bernie, is there anything that you've seen with current spoilers that uh, looks like it can make you a bit of money or uh, lends credence to a sliver of hope with some of these reprints? Um, so from what I've been seeing, uh, first of all, I, I was at a very busy GP Providence this past weekend, so I'm not the most up-to-date on spoilers. Uh, we were very flooded with business at Providence. It was a very good event. Um, yep. But what I've been seeing more is I've been looking at the box prices. Um, we tried to get more from our distributor than they'll give us for the first run. 
So while this product is print to demand, I'm mostly looking at trying to figure out how to not run out of stuff before they actually manage to print it. Um, I've been talking to several people and like, I think there's going to be an actual, uh, and like artificial shortage through the first couple months until, or a couple weeks, maybe I don't actually know how long it'll take to get more. Um, but we just like are trying to get more than we currently have access to. So, um, I think that prices will probably stay kind of high until that second large wave comes out. And I haven't gotten any information on when that will be. But um, I would imagine that instead of waiting for things to come out and the prices to drop, what you're actually going to be waiting for is like once they actually start hitting the print to demand. I don't think they realize the insane demand that this set's going to have. Um, and surely we can't be the only ones who have already capped our amount from distributors and can't get more yet. And so um, I, I think it'll drop again once they have that wave and then third wave as well. Um, but I, I think prices will stay high around release. I don't think you're going to save much money if you need cards within the first month by failing to pre-order. Um, I had I, I imagine this question was kind of in in light of what I had tweeted earlier. Um, a lot of people are saying the prices are out of control. I explained that yes, the set is printed demand, but if we look at um, sets that kind of fall on a similar timeline, our closest analog is Battlebond from last year. Battlebond went through a very, very similar phase of, <clears throat> it was much, much better than what people expected. There were definitely cards that were worth a substantial amount of money with hype from the very beginning. Uh, once people realized that the set wasn't completely terrible, right? No one no one decided to pre-order Battlebond until they started spoiling cards. No one pre-ordered Modern Horizons until they started to drop, you know, some very sweet reprints, some new cards. Um, now, everyone is trying to do what they can to get their their hands on it, and it's causing, uh, you know, people like Bernie here, they, the distributors have to be fair. They have to be able to accommodate everyone. You can't just say, I pre-sold all my boxes. I want more boxes because there just isn't enough to go around. Um, <clears throat> so, very much in line with what Bernie had mentioned, there will be a short-term supply, almost identical to with Battlebond last year. Um, there will be, it's printed demand. I'm almost certain that they're printing more right now as we speak. It's just a matter of time before it becomes available to people, before enough people are able to open up enough product for uh, the singles, um, for there to be enough supply and singles to hit the market. I imagine we see, um, both DC and Seattle are uh, Bard Horizons Grand Prix. So I imagine like with both of us, when we're buying uh, buying from people who are opening a product from the uh, the GP, once more of that hits the market, that will slowly help to bring prices down. But if you're looking to try and get your cards on day one, you're probably paying a premium. You're probably paying a premium for the boxes unless you pre-ordered well in advance. Do you guys think that we're going to see another situation like we've seen with Ultimate Masters or Modern Masters 13, where the people that are able to acquire these boxes at the cheapest price points will be able to flip them? Or do you think that this is going to turn out like Ultimate Masters, where people are, sorry, not Ultimate Masters, Iconic Masters or M25, where people attempt to flip this product and then it just absolutely blows up in their face? So what would you guys consider this product to be more like, Iconic or Ultimate? I mean, it really depends on how much people enjoy the draft format, I think. Like, sealed product is definitely worth a lot based on what's in the set itself.
but sets that don't have very strong um like ev can still be worth a lot because of like the draft format so like original Innistrad boxes for example are are boxes that are well above what you would expect to open out of the box itself like the cost of the box is well over that because it's such a good draft format and because people think it's such a good draft format this is like the closest to time spiral that we've ever had or even like it's more complicated than the master sets which usually you know there was like five or ten mechanics or something like that and this one has like 40 or something insane so it could be quite expensive because people want to draft it if the draft format is fun but i think that ultimately we won't know that for like a week or so like we won't know that until after the set comes out bernie so i don't i'm not sure that this is uh like either of those two categories um i actually have been saying for a while that i feel like modern horizons is a whole different animal um, my concern with Modern Horizons is that they're making new cards that are definitionally too strong to be in standard, right? That's why they're printing it in Modern Horizons. Um, my thought process is that there will be a time, uh, maybe a year from now or so, where these cards just are continually still in demand, but there's just not getting to be more of them. Um, I'm concerned that the, the print run is going to be stores are going to want to be able to sell through all of their product. They're not going to want to keep a large backstock because again, stores, cash flow, all that. Um, but I feel like the demand for specific cards is just going to go way up. So I think in about, about a year, um, I'm not quite sure exactly what, how long they're going to be printing the product, but uh, sometime down the road, there's going to be like the winners from modern horizons, I think are going to double or triple in price. Uh, the cards that are really seeing play that people need for modern or in some cases for legacy in the case of like force of negation um i think those are going to really spike hard um so i think it'll be just a little different than like uma where like the set is good but the price of all the rares stays low um i just don't think we're going to see that um because there were other printings for things from uma um and there just aren't for some of the really good modern horizons <clears throat> cards ed I think I think Bernie has the idea. The fact that these cards, the very nature of the set, the design is, if these cards are going straight into modern, they have to try and push them in a way where they're playable. Um, obviously, we have some reprints. People, you know, like uh, earlier today, like uh, Eladomri's Call. Um, is it modern playable? Probably not. It's kind of pushing on the edge, but it's uh, it's one of those cards that's a casual favorite. That's fine. That's fine for master sets. But when you have cards like um, like Urza, for example, that card is both casual, but it's not outside the realm of possibility that it could make for a very, very good uh, modern deck. Um, these cards, like Bernie had mentioned, because there's no previous um, printing of it, these are the first time printings, there's no real opportunity for people to just say, I'll, I can buy the older printing if it's cheaper, it's a reprint, the price will go down, because these cards are just whatever people will open and whatever people will open is likely going to be done within the next month or two. Um, even though it is printed demand, people probably will stop caring about Modern Horizons very quickly. That's just the nature of Magic players. Um, War of the Spark, even though it's only been out, I think this is the fourth weekend it's actually been released, it always feels like old news because everyone's already focused on the next thing. And then I imagine kind of once the uh, set of uh, the initial GPs are done for Modern Horizons towards the end of June, 
that's basically around time for the pre-release for Core 2020, and people are already going to be looking at that. And then I imagine we don't know what the fall set looks like, uh, so we have a few slow months where prices are probably relatively stable. But like Bernie had said, like any card that is going to be pushed, what happens when there's an artifact that where Urza is a four of, right? Like where where are more copies of these Urzas going to come from if people stop opening them because it's old news, and then distributors and stores stop carrying the products. We look at Conspiracy 2, right? How long was Conspiracy 2 available from distributors for $70? That didn't matter because no one wanted Conspiracy 2. The moment it goes out of print, prices go through the roof, right? Savala hasn't gone down in price since this real spike. has basically stayed at $40. That card is next to impossible to buy at GPs because unless someone is selling their Savala Commander deck, you just don't, you just don't have more to buy. <clears throat> That's a good point. I'm not sure that I've had the same experience. Um, we've been able to bring in several copies of things like Silvala from GPs. Um, there are still a fair amount of people who are finding this product in places that like had it sitting on their shelves or whatever, and are just selling out the stuff. Uh, we've actually had a surprisingly <laughs> reasonable time recently picking up things like Expropriates and Silvalas. Um, I, I don't know that my experience can be normal. Um, obviously, I come from a little bit of a different uh, realm having a big island booth at the front of every GP. Um, so I, I obviously, just because my company's having a, a relatively easy time finding some of this stuff doesn't mean that everybody is. But um, it, it's just, you know, it, it's a thing we've been able to keep in stock. Um, one thing that Ed was saying was uh, about Urza's. Um, I feel like Urza would be a prime reprint for a commander deck um, in like commander 19 or 20 or whatever the next one's going to be. Um, so I feel like there's going to be a lot of things that should be coming out in a commander deck, but I don't know how many they're actually going to be able to reprint. Right? There's so many really, really strong casual cards that they're coming out with that I feel like a couple of them will get hit by reprints every year. But generally, if you're holding on to like a, a bouquet of them, you know, you're holding on, you picked your 20 favorite really strong casual cards from this set and you just bought a bunch and sat on them, you're going to lose on one or two every a year, but it's just not going to matter because you're going to make so much money on the others. Do you guys think that um, as far as like reprints are concerned that these new standard showdown promo packs are, are like a thing that they could be trying to put reprints into? I know that they said for core 2020, they're going to be changing up how they give away promos. Um, I believe there was an article stating what was probably going to be in it, but for that set specifically, but like, is it unreasonable for the fall set to cons contain some cards from Modern Horizons to get people to go to stores to play more Magic? Um, I think I think like, you and you want to take this, Jeremy? Go for it first. I have my own take because we obviously catered to uh, different clients. Right. Um. I, I think the standard showdown packs, it's one of those things where it's it's too much of an unknown. It's hard to say what it actually looks like. We don't know anything about it. We know that, hey, this is one avenue for them to reprint cards. It's how they want to push promos, how they will probably want to push, you know, alternate art printings or whatever. Um, but we don't know what that looks like, right? How, like how many iterations of these standard showdown packs have we seen over the past two years since they've been implemented? Um, I think it's just too hard to count on them for anything definitive right now, I wouldn't say, oh, I'll just wait until it comes out in the next showdown pack, right? That's not realistic because we don't know what that timeline looks like, what the contents are, how they're going to be distributed, um, at what events are going to be distributed, etc. 
So as someone whose customers are extremely casual, and that's like all we cater to uh, at the brick and mortar locations, my customers love this because they don't care what the promo is. They just care that like they get a chance to play for something essentially besides like store credit and booster packs. So like no matter how the promos work out, as long as there's something casual they can open, they're going to show up and keep playing. So whatever sort of carrot wizards dangles out there for my players, they're going to go ahead and take it. So uh, I looked up while we were talking, uh, the new promo pack is called the WPN promo pack. And uh, they said they're supposed to be using, supposed to be distributing these to stores from Corset 2020 onward. Uh, it's supposed to contain one promo stamp, rare or mythic rare from the most recent set, one promo st- stamped rare or mythic rare from a publicly listed uh, curated list, uh, a alternate art basic land, and then one special card that has a weird treatment like alternate art, alternate frame, etc. So I don't think that's outside of the possibility that cards like, like they could put like a perma Urza in a pack in like, six months or something like that as like a way to, to get people to want to open those specifically. Um, but it doesn't say specifically that the cards, all of the cards in that pack are going to necessarily be standard legal. And I think that that's like something that they could flex going forward is like being able to add cards to those packs that are not from standard sets um, or just make more reprint sets. Like they could just make another modern horizons next, next year and actually just include cards from the first modern horizons again. I think and, I, I think I mentioned previously. Um, I think it was like months and months ago before they mentioned this. I had hypothesized that they, the standard showdown implementation would be very similar to uh, treasure chest on Moto. Uh, there is again, a, so the way the treasure chest will work on Moto is there's a curated list with different frequencies. Uh, your better cards, um, for example, like I believe Rashawn and Port was on there for some time because Rashawn Port doesn't exist on Moto outside of. Uh, one of the master edition sets, I believe, it shows up much more infrequently than um, it, it shows up one for every another card that is much more common. It would show up twelve times as frequently, for example, or eight times as frequently. And I imagine that this curated list would be one way that they could bring in uh, these types of reprints. Urza as a mythic, as a higher demand card, would probably be a one x, whereas something like um, I, I can't even think like an Elodomri's call would be at a 4x or an 8x or something, and that would be one way that they could um, indirectly reprint cards as price support in these packs. That's a good point. Um, anything else we want to touch on with Modern Horizons before we move on? Uh, yeah, I also like want to bring up to people that like cards in this set. Well, I'm talking about this specifically as a commander player, but like when you see cards in this set and you're like really excited for them. Uh, the best thing is always to just like buy the other cards that go in that deck first. Um, it's, I think, something that people don't do enough of. But I also don't believe that people look at like similar decks to try to figure out what actually you want in those decks. So uh, today they spoiled Yagmoth, Thran Physician, and people are going crazy for the Undying creatures because you can put a Neg One counter on it and, and, it removes the plus one counter so you can infinitely sacrifice creatures that have undying. But if you're a more casual player and you're like, or you just want to play commander with it, it's better instead of looking at like the cards that you would expect to have like four copies of in your deck, 
um, go look at commanders that are similar to this, like Hapatra, see what cards are in that deck and figure out like what kind of cards you need for your deck going forward. There's a lot of cards that, that deal with minus one, minus one counters from uh, the last Scars of Mirrodin block and then also Sh Lore or Shadowmore and Eventide. And there's some cards like Crumbling Ashes and Bloatfly Infestation, which are really hard to find because they've never been reprinted. And they were in those style of minus one, minus one counter decks that like once people start playing with it, we'll realize that they also need those cards. I think that there's a lot of, oh, this is the new card. I got to buy this one now. But really, you should be looking to the future of like what other cards you need to go with that. This is when Ed... Am I disconnected? Oh, okay. I no, was like, man, that was a long silence. We just wanted old man Jim to ramble on. I don't have anything to add to that, so... Nope. Okay. Uh, what's the credit winner of the week, Jim? So our credit winner this week is Sergio Rovoletto. Man, why do you guys keep making me say these names? Rovoletto, I, I think. He says, hey, guys, with the current popularity of Oathbreaker... When is the point where it's worth speculating in a new format? Stuff like Old School and Frontier seem to be alive, but variants like Tiny Leaders disappeared from relevancy. Um, we talked about this a little bit before the cast, so I'm just going to steal Jeremy's answer. Uh, I think that Oathbreaker in particular is unlike those other two formats because the cards that would be good in Oathbreaker are just cards that would be good in general. Um, Planeswalkers are good and spells are good, so I don't know, like what in particular you would try to gauge from this. I don't think that there are people that like, it's this is just commander with slightly different commanders. I don't think that there's enough deck building restrictions that make it enough different. Um, so I don't think that there's necessarily cards that you would target from this format that wouldn't show up in commander anyway. Ed. Um, I like having followed Oathbreaker a bit. I think it feels too much um, like, just commander side grade. I, I, I can't really describe it. It's just um, the only real different, right? Is like you have a commander spell and you have a planeswalker as like your commander. Um, the old school and frontier, uh, less so for frontier, but um, like middle school is one of those things that's starting to pop up now. Um, those are, I think those have lasted because they are different enough from what already exists that there will still be continued interest in them. Uh, Frontier is not the best example. It feels like it's kind of fallen by the wayside, uh, but because that's more or less just modern light, right? Modern without being able to play some of the more broken decks. Um, is, is like It's possible that Frontier may exist in the future in some capacity, um, but Oathbreaker, as you had mentioned, most of the cards are already good. Uh, Planeswalkers, right? Like Everyone knows like Planeswalkers are just casual all-stars. People will always be buying the good commanders, right? It's impossible to stop Tamio the Moon Stage or so, like, you know, whatever, right? Like, these are, there's plenty of examples that we could use here. Um, I think that it, you don't necessarily want to go deep, right? Because you're not going deep on the format. You're going deep on cards that you would already be buying anyways, right? You're, you're already buying big flashy spells for the Oathbreaker spell. You're already buying uh, uh, Planeswalkers because they're just the bread and butter of every EDH deck or any casual player that wants to get out there. Bernie? Uh, yeah, so I've been noticing, uh, I, I actually thought the question was a little strange. I haven't seen anything happening with Frontier recently. 
Um, what I've been noticing is that all the formats that are more popular for casual players and socializing have been getting more and more and more popular. Um, and that players seem to be like, like tiny leaders is meant to be one-on-one. -on -one. It's like a weird blend of like a little bit competitive with also being casual. Uh, to me, frontier is just like trying to be a tournament format, but there's no tournaments for it. Um, whereas old school is like a more social game, right? It's more about being Drinking. an old school player than it is about actually playing at the old school. Um, and I feel like Oathbreaker, again, like Ed was saying, is like kind of a strange EDH, like not not light, but like other alternative EDH almost. Side grade. Side grade, sure. <laughs> um, and to me, all the casual formats have been doing really well and casual cards have been selling really well. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but at GPs, the amount of the proportion of people there compared to the number that are in the main event, there's like a, a way smaller percentage of people are playing the main event. So like the mains have been basically the same size, but the number of people in the room has been going considerably up in my opinion. Um, for most of these GPs, obviously there are always exceptions, um, but I've just been noticing the casual scene being more and more alive and more and more vibrant. And I think this is probably due to arena being able to fulfill some of the more like grinder roles. Um, so some of the more grindery folk are like, man, I could just stay at home and play this MCQ on arena. Like, whatever, why do I need to go to an event? Um, but also Magic is gaining traction from the advertising that they've been doing. So I think that the casual players are showing up in greater droves to the events, which has been really fantastic from a vendor perspective, but also I think is really fantastic from a health of the game perspective. Um, more casuals means more support for LGSs. It means more players that are playing Magic. Like it's just, you know, it's a rising tide that's lifting all boats as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and the other thing you have to keep in mind is it costs like 60 to $100 to play in these events, and players can take that money instead and spend it buying and selling cards, which helps vendors out a lot. So something to keep in mind. Like when GPs get more expensive, it's easier to justify just buying more cards and not playing in the main. So versus yeah, Vegas is the opposite because Vegas is I want to have fun with my friends that I see once a year. Oh no, I lost all this money. I need to sell cards the last couple of days to cover, which is like the general MO of Vegas I've found. Uh, yeah. So I've actually found Vegas uh, is one of two things. It's either, Hey, I just lost a bunch of money. So I'm selling all these cards or, Hey, I just want a bunch of money. So I'm buying all these cards. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, anybody who's gambling in Vegas is doing all the vendors a favor. Yeah. Um, but I like, yes, I do see your point about like uh, main events being more expensive and that reducing the number of players who'd want to play them. But I think also there's a more significant factor is people who just wouldn't have ever been playing the main event are showing up. Um, I was really skeptical about like the Magic Fest branding idea uh, back when they rolled it out, but I, I really have felt like it's working. I feel like you're getting a bunch of people who like know they're not. You know, they're not like the delusional level of, hey, I think I'm really good enough to make it, but they're really not good enough to make it. These are people who just like aren't trying to make it. They're just trying to go have fun with their friends. And for whatever reason, now they're actually going to Magic Fests. Um, it used to be that Grand Prix, from what I could tell, were more of the people who were actually legitimately trying to be good at tournament magic. But now I feel like it's just everyone who plays magic in the area just goes. <clears throat> 
Um, so yeah, there are probably some people who aren't doing the main event who would have otherwise done it, but I'm most excited about the people who just are now showing up. Yeah, that's a good point. Anything else we want to talk about with Oathbreakers specifically? Um, as far as I think, like, I don't, I don't know that this is necessarily going to be like a long-term like thing. I know that it's like a, a flavor of the month and everyone's excited to try it out, but in practice, I don't know that it's actually very good or very fun to play. Um, I don't think going forward, I would really be worried about like more Planeswalker cards and, and spells that could go with them. Um, so as, as far as I'm concerned, like Oathbreaker exists, but it's just commander. So I don't have any special considerations for it. I think Oathbreaker can also get solved unlike commander a lot easier. Like there's people that are brewing turbo depths with the new, walker and like a turn one merit lage is pretty hard to beat in oathbreaker i would assume um the other thing is i think a lot and like i'm probably wrong and i'll probably get a lot of hate for this take but magic players are getting older and a lot of them don't exactly have social lives outside of magic so we're seeing a return to like middle school and old school more as like a way for them to connect with friends because like as they're getting older and alone in their like late twenties, early thirties, they just want to hang out with their friends. And like, we have a giant middle school community um, in St. Louis, for example. But um, it's just interesting to see like people that like every day they go to work, they get off and then they, uh, they go and play old school, middle school, whatever, like for nostalgia. And that's like all they're doing. So it's a hot take, but like, Jeremy, do you need a friend? No, I'm great. Are you sure? Uh, because like it sounded like you were speaking from experience. Oh no, I'm not. Are Are you uh, sure though? Because you know we we cast with you every week, and you know if you need to like talk or you need like a hug, I'm sure Ed. Yeah, Jim, yeah, I need a one. buddy. Can you come to the Stanley game, uh, Stanley Cup game tonight? <laughs> uh, I don't think I could get there like with any mode of transportation that yeah. exists currently. Um, but you're seeing a return to like a lot of people that have done well financially in their life, like seek out to play magic with their old friends or whatever. So like old school is a really good example of that. There's a ton of like people that have done well in life or like they bought cards early enough and like, they just get absolutely hammered at a bar and like enjoy the night, which is a healthy way to play magic, I guess. It's cheaper to do it at home, by the way. That's what I do. Dollar beers at like most of our bars though. So what what beer is a dollar? Like it's like a Bud Light. I'd rather just drink water at that point. That is the blood flow of the great state of Missouri, right there. So uh, it is it legally water, I believe. Missouri River, huh? Yeah, it is legally water. So, um, but it's just interesting. And uh, Oathbreaker, like you sort of sold my point, stole my point, but um. Anything that will sell more Planeswalkers is good. And as Bernie hinted out, like last year was the rise of old school where people made a ton of money off old school. This year, it's all about making money off uh, commander cards. Like you're seeing Lightning Greaves, Thought Vessel, all that stuff is like showing similar, albeit lesser returns compared to old school last year. So vendors who invested in commander cards in November when, you know, like price indexes just absolutely fell from the sky are seeing a very handsome return. So it's been very good for vendors and casual players alike. 
without crypto or you know just old school in general propping up the market. So Bitcoin's over nine k, Jeremy. Ed, that still won't help you buy friends. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not ready to make a bet yet, but Bitcoin is on the up and up. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna feel real bad if it hits twenty k like a year later or something. That would just be. That's fine with me. That is fine with me. Um, am I spelling another bet? How is Ed gonna lose his hair this time? Yeah, I wanna. I wanna watch this time, Ed. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, where can uh, he claim his credit, Jim? And where can people leave questions for next week? Sure. So uh, send me an email at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com and I'll get you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffinc.com. If you'd like to win next week, you can leave a question on the coolstuffinc.com page that will go up uh, probably Tuesday. And uh, if your question gets selected, you'll also win $25 of coolstuffinc.com store credit. What else do we want to talk about this week? Dual land prices, like, you know. I, I don't think crypto is a big deal right now. So no one uh, has anything to say. Man, I just show up and I pick a question of the week. I've done you my, just hear my so you won't get fined. Yeah. No, that's not true. That's when I go out with my wife places. I'm just there so I don't get fined. <laughs> um it's interesting because we're I feel like we're going to see a little different of a price index this year, which like I don't know how much our listeners care about this, but last year after Vegas, like everyone dumped cards, vendors were paying like 80% on a lot of cards just to get them in and flip them. And then we saw a slow trajectory back down um, with old school and modern and legacy staples. But this year we have modern horizons like propping up a lot of legacy cards and modern cards as far as scalding tarn is going to be a lot of money until the end of the year if it gets reprinted then stuff like that um and casual cards i don't see necessarily a reason for them to fall to the same degree that old school did last year i'm sure we will see a retraction somewhat of some of these cards when commander comes out and the cards that get hit go down cards that don't go up so do you guys think we're going to see a lull in summer this year in like a month um before vegas or do you think that wizards is not manipulating but like planning their schedule better where we have modern horizons to carry us over the summer we have all these grand prix of constructed events not in june but in july because june is a lot of modern horizons limited do you guys think that they're managing their schedule better this year to um help keep competitive players invested in playing through the year or do you think that we're going to see a retraction until um, the fall. Um, I mean, I definitely felt like I was exhausted last year during the summer months. I felt like they released way too many different products. Um, maybe I'm just used to it this year and maybe there's exactly the same number of products, but I feel like they have paced themselves better as far as like all of the things are coming out, but they're not all coming out at literally the exact same time. Like we got enough time with war of the spark to like digest what was going on there before we got to modern horizon spoilers where it wasn't like there's a pre-release and then the release and then like the weekend after the release is like spoilers for the next set like we got a little bit of time to like to think about it before we got bombarded with a new set so i think that their pacing is better maybe their schedule is the same 
I felt a little bit last year like uh, there was a, a little bit of a lull. I didn't think they did a great job uh, managing the formats last year. Um, I felt like they're doing a much better job managing the formats this year um, of Magic Fest. But I also feel like, again, the push that we've been seeing recently is from casuals. So I don't know that, you know, sure, it's great to have a more standard modern uh, GPs over the course of the summer. But I don't know that casual growth really cares what format the GP is. And this is like a new direction that I feel like Magic has grown a lot recently. Um, so I felt like it would have mattered a lot more last year to have those constructed events in places that are relatively accessible, like Detroit and Denver. Um, you know, Denver's a hub. Uh, Detroit's a hub. Uh, a lot of people are within driving distance of Detroit. Um, especially for the summer, you're looking at college students. That's an area with a lot of good colleges in like, you know, a, a several hour drive. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just feel like a casual wave doesn't really care so much about the fact that Wizards did a little better this year. Um, but I do think they did better this year. I think it's, I think it's both important to note, like, um, that I think the marketing team, they're, you know, the new world order for their marketing is uh, substantially different than what has been in the past. I think, like Bernie said, they're more aware that um, they're, they're, they're not making money off of the tournament players. You know, like Jim knew about this previously. Like, it, it's, it's not worth it, right? You're trying to sell a dream that is no offense to anyone who partakes in it, but it's relatively idiotic if I'm try if I if I'm gonna be crass here. Um like Bernie's played on the Pro Tour, I've played on Pro Tour, Jim's played on Pro Tour. When are you gonna play on Pro Tour? Yeah, right. Like uh, you should get on that. Um right like ultimately like it's it's not worth it. Uh it's great the idea is appealing, but now with arena uh with just making things more casual, they've ex they've greatly expanded the scope of magic and it's not necessarily just about um, trying to, you know, appeal to this very small group of people. Now you have people, like Bernie said, coming out in droves. Um, I imagine Jim probably plays not a dissimilar level of magic compared to what he did before. He, but he's spending more. I, I don't, I don't know if you're spending more, but you're probably spending a proportional amount of money. But you're getting the cards you want. You're still, you're not enjoying the game any less. Uh, but it's easier for us to be selling these cards because you just have so many more casual players that are wanting to turn over cards quickly. I'm actually enjoying the game way more because right. I, I don't like super anecdotally. I went uh, yesterday to my LGS to play in a standard of like or what I would like a sealed event, whatever it was, to get the to, to fairy time white promo. Like I wanted the full art promo for a commander deck that I don't have yet, but I know I will eventually because I'm just a fucking hoarder and that's how it works. That's and your one F bomb. Okay, I show up. I open my. I, I show up. I paid for the sealed with the intentions of immediately dropping and leaving. And I was like, I'll open the booster packs. I opened some sweet planeswalkers. I got a Liliana. I was like, all right, whatever. I'll just like I'll play a couple of rounds. I went. I, I won my first two rounds and lost my third one. I probably could have gotten prize support, but there was thirty eight minutes left on the time the round clock, so I dropped and left. Like, there's nothing more exhilarating than just being like, I don't care if I win anymore because it doesn't matter, and. That's like a thing that I think a lot of people don't get out of like, well, why do you play casual magic? Doesn't matter if you win or lose. Yeah, you just get to enjoy your time. You don't have to worry about like getting every nickel and dime out of every single tournament that you play in because 
you know, oh, tournament entry fees are expensive and you got to pay for the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. And then you got to pay for the plane ticket. You got to pay for the hotel and you got to pay for the entry fee into the Grand Prix. Like all that stuff is just so, it adds up to so much money at the end of the day. Uh, I could have just spent that all on cards and got all the shiny nice ones, which is what I'm doing now. And I could sell them later if I decided to and then get some of that money back. Like I can't sell back my plane ticket after I use it. So I feel like it's just a better investment of my time and money. And I, I think that's like where a lot of the casual players come from is like, well, I could just play with my friends or even people I don't know. But if I'm not playing for anything, then there's doesn't feel as bad when you lose and you don't have to worry about it. But Jim, you can get your plane ticket back. So what you do is you book your plane ticket through a shopping portal. You put that on your miles card and then you get exactly. No, I'm kidding. But that sounds yeah. like way too much work. Like you, you, you might get like whatever voodoo you're talking about might exist, but it's just like way too much work for what I want to do. <laughs> I love gaming points. It's like my favorite thing. Um, so, yeah, Jim, that's sort of like where a lot of vendors aren't necessarily taking advantage of you, but that's how you help pay their bills. And so that Ed can afford to to live, I guess, like. The shift that we've seen to casual players, I remember talking on the cast back in like 2015 and saying like, wow, I can't keep soaring in stock. Like I keep ordering these from Japan. I keep flying to Japan to pick up soarings, paying customs on them. And then like, I can't keep them in stock. Like these are selling all day. And like, we've seen more and more of that. So you're starting to see arbitrage be squeezed out because whether it's MKM where like, English is double the price of non-English on MKM or like it's harder to order. You're seeing like entities like Star City order off of MKM to um, allegedly to uh, to get cards back in. Um, it's it's really good to see that shops that prioritize their casual players are making money because as much money as, you know, selling scalding turns makes the margins on a 50 cent dragon when like a customer comes in and you know, you have like a minimum price on cards or whatever. Like if you get, I'd rather sell. And this is like, this has been happening a lot. I'd rather sell a $110 cards than 10, $100 cards. And that's why vendors are so much more in favor of reprints because it's much easier to make money and the lower a price point, the better. But if you have a hundred customers come in a day and they're all spending $10, that's a lot of repeat business. You can capitalize on the future versus like 10 standard players that like buy a hundred dollars worth of cards every week for FNM, like your margins are okay on that. But if those hundred players decide to expand or buy more commander decks, which is like a, a regular occurrence at my shop, like most of the people own like 10 to 16 commander decks and every week you're getting 10 more dollars from a hundred people. And that really adds up. So that really helps to pay the bills. Yeah, and I think we can see that actually now reflected in the price points of some standard cards. Like, one of the most expensive cards in Ravnica Allegiance is a card that sees zero play in Standard, zero play in Modern, zero play in Legacy, and it's Smothering Tithe. Like, outside of the Shocklands, and there's, like, I think two Mythics that are more expensive than it, there's only, like, five or six cards in the whole set that are more expensive than Smothering Tithe, and that's just not the way it would have been probably, like, five years ago. Like, a lot of people... Well, I know, look at Return of Ravnica. Sorry, you had Psychotic Rift and um, Chromatic Lantern with Return to Ravnica. It's like the exact same situation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's true. Like, but even like, 
was a journey into Nyx. You could buy like Dictative Erebos for like sub a dollar for for the it, pretty much ex- the entire time it was in standard. And now those cards are super expensive. I feel like there are just more players that want those types of cards now and are willing to pay for them. And you don't have to wait like waiting for them to rotate just doesn't even do anything anymore. And I think that's because there's just a lot more players buying those type those types of cards. And that, that basically supports what we say is like there's a lot more people that aren't trying to chase the Pro Tour dream that just want to play with their friends. And these the the price of those cards is reflected in that. I think the other thing to keep in mind is say a recession happens tomorrow and Ed tries to pay his rent with Bitcoin or whatever. Like the casual cards will still be worth a similar amount of money, but if players can't justify the grind, they're going to sell their cards to like help pay their bills or whatever, or that there's a higher chance during a recession that players can't afford to travel to as many Grand Prix, which I think we can agree on. Like if you, if you see a retraction in the economy, there's probably a higher chance that players stick to arena more or they go to one less Grand Prix a year because they don't have as much money to spend. Um, so you're going to see that reflected sort of like you did in 08 where casual formats uh, like EDH or a thing because players can't afford to go out or whatever. So they'll spend their time playing with their friends in their house on their kitchen table. So we may see um, in a recession casual prices even increase or stay similar just based on people not being able to spend as much money. Um, but I just think that's important to note because at some point someone's going to get left holding the bag. And not in like a, oh my God, I have $100,000 worth of inventory and like I'm screwed. But just in a, like at at some point there will be a price shift where someone who attempts to arbitrage from one country to another will not be able to flip those cards in time or something. And at that point, I'd rather have casual cards to try and flip than like Japanese planeswalkers or something. So I, it's just interesting. About my waifu planeswalkers, they are beautiful. They are so casual. Like, thank you, Wizards. We get to take Jim's money once again. So, so it was a good yeah, market. You didn't get any of my money. Actually, I paid you for a row that you said you sent twice, and I still haven't got I it. I have. Look at you just pocketing two rows. I don't have any. Oh, actually, I lied. I do have one. I have the one that Ed gave me because it arrived on time. If you want, I can give you a, a third one to Ed, and then he can lose it. So, yeah. Um. <laughs> It's just it's just interesting because we have data on what happened to Magic during the last recession, and I feel like we're due. And I know I talked about this last year. Like regardless of whatever political party's in office, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Magic during a recession, and especially to some of these vendors who are paying like ninety percent of U.S. prices or something. So, I it it's going to be an interesting study to see what happens. Um, Obviously, like I feel like we talk about this enough on the cast, prioritize your 401k before you buy magic cards, but then like buy magic cards from us. But uh, yeah, it's just uh it's just something to keep in mind is like please don't spend every paycheck on magic cards because we all know I know Bernie, Ed and I all know customers that do not make the best financial decisions every month when they get their paycheck. So yeah. Just uh, keep that in mind, general finance. I I want to know, we should do a poll on Twitter, how many of the people that listen to our podcast actually have 401ks? Because it, it'll be abysmally low, I think. You're assuming that our listeners have jobs. 
Well, yeah, they're MTG finance gurus, right? They're backpack grinders that are going to GPs and selling you their magic cards. No, man, they all have uh, foil Russian cards and top letters, and that's all they tweet. So, you know. Oh, they have their their quad-sleeved cards because they have to put them in top loaders so they don't get bent? Yep. Um, But I'm just very interested to see what happens um, with the Magic Economy in the next recession and if we'll see a similar pattern where, like, power went over to Europe during the last recession, if Americans will have the strong dollar to be able to buy stuff in the next recession and, like, be able to acquire inventory and be rewarded for that five years after. So... So one thing that I think is nice uh, about this reemergence of casual is in the next recession, uh, even if the prices of everything go down a little bit, like you were saying earlier, it's easier to sell, or it's better to sell $110 cards than it is to sell $100 cards. Um, I feel like even if prices went down a little bit, that actually wouldn't be bad for actually transacting business it's only going to be bad for the people who are sitting on lots of inventory um i do also think that there is a little bit different of a global situation than last time when um power went to europe uh because nobody's really figured out what's going on with brexit um so like that could have a negative effect on the euro or the pound um we don't really know um, so, so I feel like that it's just, you're never going to be able to fully predict, say what this situation is going to be like another situation because just, you know, the entire world's in a different place. It always will be. I'd mentioned like previously, Bernie, um, <clears throat> I don't imagine you listen to this very often, but I mentioned previously oh. that I think in order to really succeed in this, um, you have to be, you have to have a greater understanding of just. I can pay 70% of what TCG player tells me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think under, like understanding business, understanding economics, understanding, you know, things actually happen in the real world, right? Like this whole China tariff thing, like this yeah. has implications. China is actually one of, like, it's probably like the third largest market in the world, honestly, probably behind the US and, and the EU. And, yeah. and the EU, right? China is like yes. the third, like, Decidedly. What, right? what do these implications have in the future, right? Like understanding these situations, understanding like the Brexit scenario, like, what does that mean for the European vendors who come over to America? What does that mean for American vendors who go over to Europe, right? Like, these are things that you, we don't think about necessarily on a daily basis. It probably doesn't trickle all the way down to your small mom pop shop. It probably doesn't trickle down to your um, your once a week drink, drink beer and play Magic Player, right? But it certainly has implications because if Wizards has to make decisions based around this, right? Like, at some point, it's going to affect you and I. It's going to affect our consumers in some level. And I think if Right, I think like having this understanding is again what's going to help people succeed in this business more than just oh, if like someone comes up to me, I'll just pay you know seventy percent on card a card because realistically anyone can do that, right? And obviously, right. not every people succeed in this business. We have stores closing left and right. There's like how many? How often do we hear about? I had a big store in Portland that closed last month. Um, time vault. What's up? Yes, time vault. Really? Yep. Yeah, they're just no longer seen, right? And this isn't this isn't a new occurrence, right? There's obviously long-standing stores, um, right? But the amount of stores for every one store that succeeds, we have like ten stores that fail, right? It's 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 a very high turnover rate in this industry. Um, for you know, it's it's not an easy one to succeed in, and I don't think enough people understand that. I I think one of the number one reasons why so many places are failing is all these stores are trying to charge too much money. Um, 
like if you don't sell cards, you can't buy more cards. You just don't have the money for it. Um, one of the things that I am still puzzled by to this day is <clears throat> all the prices that we're uh, that we use at GPs are like lowest reliable seller on TCG, rounded to the nearest dollar for the most part. Um, there'll be a, one or two cards that'll be like Amazon cards that we'll mark up, or like foreign cards that we use different metrics, whatever. But um, it's not like there's a bunch of insane prices floating around yet. Routinely at GPs. 9.5 will actually make sales, we'll actually make sales, and everybody else will be like, oh yeah, we're charging like an arm and a leg and just trying to get people with offering a trade bump, but our cards are just too expensive. The only um, time I've seen cards be quote-unquote overpriced was the GP this year right across from Manhattan because we had a lot of like Wall Street people just come over, they didn't care. Like they walked up to the first Lotus and they said, I'll take it. Because I remember Lotuses specifically were higher at that GP in New Jersey and players did not care. They were just like, yep, I'll take it. Like I, I get a seat in front of me. I'm paying for that service. I know it's real. It's from a trusted vendor. Here's my money. That's like the only time in five years I've seen that. So, so I guess I obviously have a, a little bit of a different perspective on what qualifies as overpriced. But um, to me, there's a lot of people who are trying to um, excise a significant in-person premium. And for some cards, you can do that, right? If you're at a standard GP and you have, you know, the Arclight Phoenixes that everybody wants, yes, you can charge more money. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of stores and a lot of booths in general that are just trying to be like, oh, just, just pay more. But I feel like one of the problems with Arena is players are more and more aware that like, yeah, I can just do this magic stuff online. And I think the real winners are going to be the people with... Uh, like, like Amazon sales have been going up. Um, TCG player, I would imagine, is doing more business. Um, under, right. The, like, you went to the TCG meeting in Vegas, right? At Gamma? Uh, I, uh, I didn't go to Gamma. Uh, at the time, I was, we had not yet purchased MTG first, and I've been mostly focused on, again, Grand Prix side of things. Um, we are getting more into the retail side, obviously, with the acquisition of MTG first that happened at the beginning of this month. But um, my focus is and ha or has been at least uh, for a while, mostly just how do we get more booths, the best booths, expand, expand, expand the booth side of things. Um, okay. So PG to me is just like, hey, I have extra cards. I'm gonna just turn them into cash right now. Um, it's not the like, hey, I want to put everything on TCG. Um, but I, I just I just feel like there's going to be more people over time being like, yeah, I guess I can trust the internet when it comes to magic now. Um, we used to get a lot more people who would be like, yeah, I don't want to buy cards from the internet. They could be fakes. They could be bad condition. They could be whatever. But I feel like eventually some website or websites will have to distinguish themselves as like, this is where you buy magic cards from. And I think whoever manages to win that battle is going to capture a significant amount of market share. I mean, those those sites kind of already exist, right? Like, if you buy from Star City or Channel Fireball or, or Cool Stuff Inc., like their prices are not necessarily as competitive with TCG players. But when you purchase from them, you know you get the customer service that comes with their brand name. So yeah, I mean, th those sites definitely exist, and I don't mean to demean them in any way. But um, I think there's going to be more and more people who, again, are casuals, and especially, again, in the next recession, which will happen, I would imagine, sometime in the next couple of years, uh, people are going to become much more price sensitive. 
Um, and there's currently, at least I haven't found a website that is selling at actually competitive prices that has the kind of stock that uh, Cool Stuff and Star City and Channel and Card Kingdom and all those, the, the like super giants where you get like really good service. Um, there's, there's just been a big disconnect where like a lot of times you can just buy these cards way cheaper on like eBay or TCG or sometimes Amazon, although I've had mixed experiences with Amazon. Uh, it's a thing that I'm currently working on uh, developing, uh, currently learning on working. Uh, my company hasn't previously sold on Amazon because we didn't have a brick and mortar. But again, now that we do, we're getting into that more. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like there's going to be a lot more new clientele looking to the internet for their magic cards. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of new opportunity. Anything you want to add, Ed? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's um, – I, I, I think Bernie did, like, definitely hit like the points on the head here. Um, it's one of those things – it's unfortunate, but the nature of it, um, if you look at um, – like just like for example, the the most recent one I can think of my my Facebook feed it has um it has the normal uh, Magic Gathering Arena promotions, but on top of that, if you actually click on one of the ads, it will bring you uh to their to Amazon where you can pre-order Modern Horizons. Um, obviously that's a source of frustration for a lot of stores when they first announced it, right? It's it's certainly unfair to the local game stores that Wizards is was circumventing both distributors and game stores by selling directly to players. Uh, the fact that it's showing up on my feed, um, obviously I'm not one to buy it, right? But they're like, certainly someone is going to say that, you know, why do I even need to bother going to my game store at all if this can be done online? Um, and this is just something that's like continuing to grow. Um, TG player, they've reported that they've had more, They the number of uh, power sellers they have just grows, just continues to increase every year. Uh, and obviously the number of sales they generate because of this increases because you have more power sellers, you have more stock, you have more stock, you have more consumers. And this is one of those things that just continues to balloon very quickly. Um, so I think I think Bernie hit like all the major points on the head. Um, uh, you know, obviously online retail isn't anything new. Um, we've seen this. We've seen this since 1999, right? When people were selling, you know, when people turned their garage sale into an online garage sale. Um, you know, Amazon has rapidly uh, accelerated this process, and now we have, um, you know, even narrow things like hobbies, for example. Now we TG Player is a fully dedicated site to just all things trading card games, um, and obviously they've done a very good job of it. Uh, and this is one of those things where I have a very hard time believing that TG Player is going to have a retraction. Right? It's not like they're going to lose a bunch of power sellers all of a sudden. Um, it's just going to be a matter of time when. Um, you can already do enough of your business online theory. I have no, I don't, you know, imagine for one second that there are no shortage of consumers who all they do is they just do their pre-sales on TCG arrives at their house and they don't even need to show up at a game store to acquire any of their cards. It's unfortunate, but that's just the nature of online retail, online retail nowadays. Um, good point. Is there anything you guys want to bring up? while we have Bernie on that uh, you want to talk about Bernie with like magic fests or buying and selling that is not a plug. And it's just uh, like, just any trends in the community that you think players should be aware of. 
Uh, I, I think I've pretty much covered it. I feel like Magic Fests are becoming a great place for more casuals to show up. Um, I would love to continue seeing more casual players at these things. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't really. Uh, I think we've pretty much covered it. Okay, let's get into pick of the week. Ed, as is tradition, you are first. Um, uh, I'm currently a big fan of the five Kaladesh Fastlands. Um, they're one of those things where they have basically all but disappeared from most people's binders. Uh, yes, you still pick them up. They still exist. You can buy them, whatever. It feels to me like they're very underpriced. Uh, they're certainly the kind of cornerstone of uh some mana base not ba it's not they're not made for every deck um blooming marsh and spire bluff canal are ones that have seen plenty of play due to blacking xx and uh storm phoenix etc uh but it, con concealed courtyard at two to three dollars feels very underpriced to me um i don't necessarily think that you necessarily want to go out and buy a hundred of them in an attempt to spike the market or something. There's just too many out there. Kaladesh is still relatively recent. But for people who are looking at modern and seeing how modern horizons will change the face of modern, I don't think owning a full 20 set is unreasonable. Um, and it's also not unreasonable to think that one of these could go the way of not necessarily Blackleaf Cliffs. Blackleaf Cliffs hasn't seen a reprint. It's much older. Um, but we look at uh, Dark Six Shores, Sea Chrome Coast, uh, Razor Verge Thicket, Copperline Gorge, I guess that's a, technically the full cycle. They've all seen some amount of play over the years, and uh, compared to when they were first in standard, they're all basically pushing the $10 mark. Um, and they're all just very, very, very popular. Um, it's, again, hard to keep them in stock. They sell very well, and it's getting harder and harder to buy them as time goes on. So the five Kaladesh Fastlands, fast you can buy them. You can buy the full set. I think it's just, again, owning 20 is a worthwhile investment for anyone who looks to play modern in the future bernie um i'm I, there, there's a lot of things out there um i would say that my like sort of class of cards that would be my pick of the week would be um rares from uma um i feel like the rares from uma a lot of them are very good and a lot of them came way too far down in price and one of the things that you're going to see over time is again wizards is going to be like okay there's sufficient quantity of uh, Gorio's Vengeance of Entombs of whatever that through are the out there through the breach. Yeah. Um, and I think that those are just going to be like trending up very solidly for a long period of time. Um, especially with the, uh, Hey, we're not doing any more master sets, um, announcement, or at least for the foreseeable future again. Um, I think a lot of those cards wizards feels like, Hey, we have now put out sufficient supply. So it's not like people are going to stop playing good cards like that, but Again, as magic grows, people are going to need more and more of them. And we think about from a consumer's perspective, obviously your, uh, our experiences are, are a little bit different because we always carry boxes of UMA at our booth just to sell because people like to buy them. They're good impulsive buys. But for the average consumer out there, like when was the last time you opened up a UMA pack? Like Jim, when was the last time you decided to open up a UMA pack, right? Like it's- I, like don't, people, I haven't opened one since like the release weekend probably. Right, and I imagine that is probably a fairly common trend probably across 80 plus percent of consumers most people aren't just going to their store and saying i want to buy you may pack right like that's that's nonsense that that is uh it's june that's six weeks that's six months old now right? that's just old news right. to people people want to be looking towards 
you know, buying more of the Spark if it's even available, right? Like we're getting, we're getting restock, we're getting a restock, but more of Spark is just you know one of the things that people can't really get, right? I imagine there's still plenty of people out there who be who wants to get their planeswalkers, or when the Japanese War of the Spark comes, people are, will be wanting to open up Japanese planeswalkers, and then in what's it? It's the end of it's basically the end of May. The release is two weeks out, and in two weeks, people are going to be wanting to get their hands on Modern Horizon, right? UMA might as well have been four years ago at this point in terms of when people are opening them and how much people want to open them. Open them. Yep. Jim? Um, so I'm, I'm feeling like there's something that's going to come out of uh, the, the spoilers we've seen so far for uh, Modern Horizons. Um, I know today uh, was the, the Young Moth was revealed, so... I'm going to pick something from a deck that's probably going to be there. And I've already talked about it, but I think that Crumbling Ashes at like four bucks is probably not going to be that in a week, maybe two weeks. Like definitely by the time this card is released and people start putting decks together or they start looking at EDH rec, trying to figure out what cards they need to play in their commander decks, uh, Crumbling Ashes is just going to disappear from the internet. Like you can find them on TCG Player right now, but I don't think that that's going to be uh, very easy going forward. Um, my pick of the week. So there's a new Mox that came out. Um, Mox Tantalite, right? So Mox with Suspend. So the art is currently only going for 23,000. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but it is only going for 23,000. Um, there's a card that's been slowly trending up that we can't keep in stock. Uh, this is just something that will most likely be found in your LGS's bulk bin. It's a Forge of Heroes from Commander 18. Um, it's a land that taps for a colorless, or it says uh, choose target commander that entered the battlefield this turn, put a plus on plus on counter on it if it's a creature and a loyalty counter on it if it's a planeswalker. If Oathbreaker is real, this card is in everything. Um, it's already whoppingly doubled in price uh, from like 25 cents to 60 cents. But the reason why I like it is it's starting to pop up on Bilas a lot. And um, it looks like in Japan, this card is being bought up a lot at the time, not by me for once, and being shipped back overseas um, to the US. So if Oathbreaker is real, this is a card that's probably going to want to be in every deck. Um, and then that's just a good commander card overall. Because this card is so cheap, you don't really have to put any money into it. The other thing I'm starting to notice, though I wouldn't pull the trigger yet, a lot of where the spark planeswalkers can be found for six to 10 cents on TCG player. Um, I know there is another vendor we had on that tried to order a couple hundred of them at 10 cents each on TCG. Uh, there's that whole story. I know Adam Bernie are cackling over that. Um, it's just something where if a vendor is foolish enough to list a hundred copies of uh, a good uncommon planeswalker for three cents and you try and spend three whole dollars to um, get them all, the odds are your order will probably not be uh, processed unless you go through a, a good TCG seller. Um, but if these get down to like two to three cents on TCG and you can literally spend $2 to have a hundred of them delivered to your house, it is legitimately free money. So keep that in mind. Uh, but I do like Forge of Heroes and I still am keeping an eye on War of the Spark um, and its impact on Forge of Heroes. So we will see... What happens with that and the ending price of Mox Tantalite's art? Now, of course, Bernie, as you are our guest this week, we'll let you lead off um, 
where can people find you? Even though you are pretty much everywhere. Uh, yeah, so I'm pretty much everywhere. Um, I actually don't do Twitter. I know, blasphemous. Um, the the easiest way to find me is on Facebook, uh, my personal Facebook, or the Moose Loot page, or at any Grand Prix. Uh, my company does every English-speaking GP in the world. I'm usually at them. Um, we also just recently picked up the Star City circuit with our acquisition of MTG First, so I'm sometimes behind Star City boots as well. Uh, Obviously, I can only be in one place at a time, so I'm not at every single one of either of them. But uh, I'm around. People can find me. Uh, I'm people sadly find you. <laughs> um, I'm Ed. You guys can find me on Twitter at Edwin13. Uh, I'm currently only doing GPs. I'm like Bernie here. Uh, you won't find me at Star City. Uh, there's a few in the immediate future. I will be in Kansas City this coming weekend. Uh, both Bernie and I will be there um, at the. I'll be at the Tales of Venture booth. Uh, I will be in Taipei next week, and then the string of Modern Horizons GPs at Washington DC, Seattle, and then Dallas around about June. Jimbo, my name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at phrost underscore. You can find me on coolstuffinc.com every other week, and you can find me on this lovely podcast usually every week. I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. I will be gracing Ed this weekend in the great state of Missouri with uh, some barbecue because he looked like he wanted to kill me at Providence. So uh, fourth week in a row of um, annoying Ed. If you are coming to GPKC, um, it looks like there's a ton of cartel fans going. Uh, Ed will be easy to find if you want to say hi and take pictures with the cast. Um, thanks to everyone that said hi in Providence. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, there's more listeners than I thought. So that's that's good to hear. Um, you can find this podcast at Cartel Aristocrats on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, mtgcast.com. And of course, our sponsors, CoolStuffInc.com. You can find us on Twitter at Cartel underscore finance, Facebook at Cartel Aristocrats, and all the other fun social media places. Thanks for coming on, Bernie. We do appreciate it. As always, we will see you guys next week, and bye-bye.